Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. And he's going to prepare a place for you and I who have never been there before. I don't want to make it complicated, but, but listen to what he's actually saying. He's talking to us and he says, listen, there's a place. It's called my father's house. And it's got tons of rooms in it, tons of places. He says, I'm going to go there even though you've never been there before. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. He says, where I am, where I'm going, where I'll be, I want you to be there with me. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. A missional community should in the same way be making room uh, in a place that we know and that we've been, but others have never been there before, right? Jesus goes to a place he's been, a place he knows. We've never been there. He's making a place for us. He's making room for us. If we are a missional community, we should be making a place, making a room. We've been here. We've served God. We know what it's like to have victory. We know what it's like to be ministered to. We know what it's like for somebody to come and help us when nobody else would help us, right? But we should be making room for others to be able to come to that same place. The title of the message this morning is, A Missional Community Makes Room. A Missional Community Makes Room. A few things I want to share with you. I'm, I'm excited about all we have going on, but I, I just really want us to focus in, if we can, just a few things. Number one is a missional community makes room for new members. A missional community makes room for new members. I have this progression in my mind of, of what it should be like if somebody were to come into the church, become a part of the church, and what they should experience without having to be told, right? It's one thing if somebody comes into the church and then they tell you, hey, this is what's going to happen first, this is what's going to happen second, this is what's going to happen third, and they, they're looking for those things, so they're experiencing them. It's another thing that nobody said anything, and they're just receiving and experiencing a certain thing. In my mind, this is what that experience should look like. Number one, they should, they should experience this, this feeling that uh, there's a place for you here. Amen. People should come into this church, maybe not the first service, maybe not the second, but good Lord, pretty early on, they should be like, hey, you know what? I feel like there's a place for me here. Amen. Number two, I feel like they should experience and feel that their uniqueness is celebrated and encouraged here. Have you ever come into an environment and you can tell right away that who you are and what's unique about you or what's different about you is not celebrated and not encouraged? They're like, you're weird. You need to change or you can't stay here with us. I don't think that that should be the experience. When people come here, they should feel like, hey, you are unique for whatever reasons. 
You are special. That's going to be acknowledged. That's going to be celebrated. That's going to be embraced in this place. What we want is unity, but with diversity. Right? So there's, there's a type of unity where everybody conforms into the same type of person and they talk the same and they all speak Christianese and we all say the same thing. We all say amen at the right moment and hallelujah at the right moment. But then there's a type of unity that has diversity. We're all different. We all have different backgrounds, upbringings, cultures, experiences. Those things should be celebrated in the church. Somebody say amen. amen. And then I think the last part of that progression, right? You go from, hey, there's a place here for you to you're actually unique and valued and celebrated to you actually belong here and that we would be less without you. Yes. A missional community has to make room for people to be able to enter into something like that. In the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says, Whom he foreknew, speaking of God, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that Jesus might be the firstborn of many brethren. So it says God foreknew all of us, he predestined all of us, and he is conforming us or shaping us into uh, the image of Christ. Christ is the firstborn, and now he has all these brothers and sisters, and we are being more and more, we're being made more and more like Christ. But too often, we have an image that we want people to conform to. Before we make them feel at home in the church, even though we're well-intentioned, right? Somebody gets saved or somebody comes into the church and we're like, listen, I've got to shape you and mold you and fix you and change you and turn you around and teach you all these things. We want to conform them into the image. Everybody in here has an image of what they think a Christian should be, and that's what we project onto people when they come into the church. Let me make you what I think you should be as a Christian. But what the scripture says is that God foreknows everyone and that God has a destiny for everybody and that God is shaping you into the image of Jesus. Not we are shaping each other into whatever image we want us to be. I got a video for you. Ray, if you could play those. Go ahead and hit the lights.
Little Mermaid. So if you're wondering what I'm doing on my weekends, I'm, I'm thinking about Little Mermaid. But I don't know what it was when I was thinking about this idea of, of uh, making room for new members. Uh, if you've seen the movie, most of us have. She's a mermaid, she goes down, she finds this sunken ship and she starts finding all these things. She comes up to the shore, she asks her friend or she asks this bird to tell me what all this stuff is and they give her all these, these ideas, right? The problem is, She's going to become a human, she becomes a human, and now she has these ideas about how this world is supposed to work, but she looks crazy and she's acting crazy, right? She took the advice or the information from her friend, she goes to this dinner, she's got legs for the first time, and she's doing her hair with a fork and she's blowing this pipe all over everybody. And I thought about it, and that's how a lot of new Christians are, right? We go from living in the world like, like mermaids, right? And then we get saved and all of a sudden we're a human for the first time. And all these Christians start telling us how to be Christians. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to say. This is how you need to act. This is where you need to be. This is where you need to go. This is how you use a fork. This is how you use a pipe. And then we wonder why they're so confused and they look crazy and they're demoralized and they feel ashamed when they should be um, coming into something beautiful Amen. and something amazing and something that makes them feel at home and not ostracized, right? We try to shape them into our spiritual image for them instead of allowing Jesus to shape them into him, himself. The other side of that coin is I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't help people, right? But it should be in the basic things. When somebody gets saved or somebody comes into a community, somebody comes into a church, if you are a missional community, we do need to help them, but not with the deep spiritual things that God is already going to do for himself. Just the basic things, how to use a fork, how to have manners, Hey, listen, we got one door. Don't push people on your way in. Hey, listen, this, this communion bread, they made that last night for, for our communion service. It's not a snack. Don't just be over here eating bread before service starts. Like, feel free to help somebody through some of the basic things within a church. Like, we, we go out to the park today, and I remember when I first got saved, we would do fellowships and things like this, and I was barely saved. So, you know, if we were playing football and somebody hit me a little too hard, I wanted to fight. And I need a brother to come over and say, hey, you can't fight. He's not really trying to hurt you. Here's how it works. Say, I'm sorry. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm sorry. Right? Basic things. Not super deep spiritual things. Let God work on people. <clears throat> so the church, if you look at the book of Acts, this is what's happening. New members are being added to this small community of believers. They're a missional community. There's only 12 of them. Then there's a couple hundred of them. They start going all over the world. And what happens when you start getting new members from other countries and new members from other cultures, new members with other languages? It's going to be hard to welcome them in and, and to embrace them. And there's going to be problems within the church. This is, what, this is what they're experiencing. I want to read Acts chapter 15, a few verses to you. With all these people who are coming into this community and they're struggling, it says that, Acts 15, 1, certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So as being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia, Samaria, and describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all the things that God had done with them. 
But some of the sect of the Pharisees, the religious people, who believed, they rose up and said, it's necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to the men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and they will believe. God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither of our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. So they're going through the communities, new people are getting saved, new cultures are getting saved, and as they're getting saved, certain people, certain religious people in the church are saying, hey, listen, I know you put your faith in Jesus, but now you got to get circumcised. I know you put your faith in Jesus, but uh, here's, here's the book of the law. There's, there's like 600 of them. We're going to need you to go ahead and keep those now. And Paul and Barnabas are like, what are we doing? Why are we trying to shape them into our image when we should be allowing Jesus to shape them into his? And there's a frustration within the church, putting a yoke on people. That's what he said. They said, listen, why would we get these new converts, these new believers who are coming into the church and try to get them to keep standards that we couldn't keep? Our fathers couldn't keep them. The whole reason Jesus had to come is because we kept screwing it up. And now we're going to take the new believers and put that on them. Think about it for a second. How many of us in the church act that way? It took you five years to figure out how to do a couple things right in the church. And a new member comes in and you're like, you need to do this. 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 And if they don't, you look at them sideways like, Ugh. they don't really believe. It's nothing new. That's what's going on in the church in the book of Acts. This is what they decide to do. This is verse 19. I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. Don't trouble them. But that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogue on every Sabbath. It pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. They write a letter to all these new church members saying, listen, there's a thousand laws, and they're good laws. <laughs> Yes, there was a time when we got circumcised because we were identified as God's chosen people on the planet, and this is what God had for us to do. Now, you've put your faith in Jesus, and we're just going to show you how to really use the fork. <laughs> Stop going around sleeping with everybody. 
Don't eat things and, and spend time with things that have been offered to false gods and, all, and idols. There's one God. His name is Jesus. Anything that's idol worship, stay away from that. And sexual immorality, keep your body pure and holy, and God will work out the rest. Imagine if we embrace new members that way. You don't have to learn everything. You don't have to do everything. But there's a few things that we do have to do. Jesus has to be Lord of your life. And you've got to submit to his authority in your life. And we'll give God time to work everything else out. The apostles and disciples weren't saying there was more work to be done. They were just saying in the beginning, this is all we need to focus on. We have to make room for new members in that way. And I want you to ask yourself this morning if... if if you want to be part of a missional community, is that how you're embracing people? Is that how you look at new people who come into the church and give their life to the Lord? Last week we had a young man, praise the Lord, give his life to the Lord. I've been excited to hear that uh, several people from the church have been in contact and communication with him. But what are we going to lead? How are we going to lead him? How are we going to teach him? Right? Here's a million things. We need you to go ahead and get this right by next Sunday. <laughs> Or, hey, man, there's a couple things that, look, you're a child of God now that you definitely need to just fight against, and then we'll just, we'll trust God for the rest. So I want to speak to room makers. If you're here and you want to be somebody who makes room, just like Jesus went to prepare a place, the church needs men and women who are completely focused on preparing a place for other people, right? We talk about ministry. You heard people talk about sweating and serving. So think about it like this. How many of us came in here this morning and said, my goal is to prepare a place for somebody new? It's not for me to get the word. It's not for me to have an experience. It's not primarily for me to enjoy what it means to be part of this church. I want to make room for somebody. It says Paul and Silas said they, they're risking their lives to go out and make room for people in the kingdom of God. Everybody doesn't have to be that way, but there needs to be at least a few room makers who are focused on it. I work in the construction industry. I do construction safety. We have iron workers. We have welders, right? So if you're going to build a building, uh, they have to weld the steel together. They have to connect all the iron pieces together. And then that's what you use to frame out the building. So what we see in here, walls and ceiling, all that kind of stuff. But the iron workers and the welders had to come in force first and make the actual room. All right. I got a couple pictures for you. Some of you might remember we, we did this, this uh, message on planting or, or building. And it's, it's, uh, it's called trellis and vine. So this is trellis. Right, so leave it there for a second. So somebody comes in and this is what the iron workers would do. The metal doesn't just pop out like that, right? They gotta take the pieces and connect them and make them in a particular shape, right? So there's another one, the next one. <clears throat> you can shape it however you see fit, right? That's the trellis. The vine is what begins to grow on that, right? So somebody has to make the room and then the people, right? You guys are the flowers. <laughs> You guys are the vine that's growing connected to the vine, which is Christ. But somebody had to make the trellis first. Right? Then the last one, I think we have one more. Actually, we have two more. Right? So look at, look at the structure is there. Somebody made that. And then something is growing on it. And then the last one, eventually it looks beautiful, right? But how many people in the kingdom are iron workers and welders who are willing to make room, make something for others to grow? Make something that others would have a place to grow. Make something that new members could be embraced and be able to walk into it. A missional community makes room for new members. Right? I think we do a pretty good job of that here in this place. 
but I always think we could do better. Somebody say amen. amen. Number two, a missional community makes room for failure and disappointment. Make room for failure and disappointment. When you're on mission, you're reaching unreached people. You're reaching uh, people who are yet to be saved and sanctified. You're reaching people that don't understand what it means to be a child of God. So we should be expecting some shortcomings. We should be expecting some failure. We should be expecting uh, some people to do things that we wish they wouldn't do. There's a process of, of coming into the light and the darkness getting out of our lives. It doesn't happen overnight. Somebody say amen. How many of you have made room for failures in other people? How many of you have done a great job of making room for people to disappoint you? If you want to be missional, if you want to, if you want to be happy, don't make room for failure. Tell people, if you fail, you are cut off. You're out. <laughs> but if you want to be missional, you have to make room for people to fail. You're reaching people that are already failing. <laughs> make room for it in your life. In John 1, 4, it says, In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not comprehend it. Think about that for a second. Jesus is amazing. Jesus is the light, right? He shines in the darkness. If there's darkness, when Jesus comes into it, it has to flee. But if somebody is just accepting that light, there's going to be a process of the darkness fleeing in their life. It's going to take time. So we have to make room for what it's like to be half light and half dark in people's lives. Colossians 3.12, I'm going to read it to you in two versions. It says, as the elect of God, that's you. Say it's me. Say it's me. Say it's me. You are elected and chosen by God. It says, as the elect of God and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering, bearing with one another. And forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. You've got to go to work and give them water breaks. <laughs> right? It's saying they were just talking bad about you. Right behind Toontown, you heard about it. <laughs> and you got to walk in there. It doesn't say be happy about it. It doesn't say make yourself really love it. It says put it on like a coat. I'm angry, but I'm going to put the coat of love on and I'm going to go give this person a water break. Yes. Listen to how it says it in the New Living Translation. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. I remember when uh, one of our elders, Gary, he first read this scripture because he wouldn't stop calling me and telling me, we got to make room for people's failures. we got to make room. we got to allow for people to fall short. we got to keep forgiving people. I'm like, I'm so glad we have you because I don't have that gift. <laughs> he loves to make room for people to fall short. He loves to pick people up who have fallen. And I'm like, man, i got to put that on. Let me borrow that coat, bro, because obviously it fits you well, but I need one. <laughs> Can we put up the, uh, the picture of, uh, of the trellis and the, the vine again? Let's do, let's do the one where the, the white one with the flowers kind of growing through however they see fit. 
So back to the room makers. And, and point number one for new members, we need room makers who are gonna build the trellis, right? Like really labor to make places for people. Here, <clears throat> when it comes to making room for failure and disappointment, we need room makers who see beauty in coloring outside the lines, right? See, if it's up to me, I'm like, look, I made you perfect little squares. I'm gonna need you to stay in that square. But there are other people who are making room for failure and disappointment. They're like, look, they went into another square. They went off to the side a little bit. But if you take a step back, it's still pretty beautiful. Their life is still worth celebrating. What God is doing in this person is still something we should be rejoicing about. But there's too many of us as Christians who are like, nope, they went somewhere they weren't supposed to go. They did something they weren't supposed to do. They made a mistake, and there's no grace. We got to make room for failure. We got to make room for shortcoming. Some of us probably before the day is out need to apologize or need to pray or need to let somebody know like, hey, it's going to be all right. You're going to make it. You colored outside the lines a little bit, but it's okay. Worse things have happened. God's still building something beautiful with your life. God's still building something beautiful with your family. I'll be the first to tell you, I'm the pastor of this church and it's definitely an area that I can grow in. Paul's struggling with a young man. Uh, he wanted to be missional, right? Paul's missionary. He's doing all these amazing things. And this young man comes into the church and says, Paul, I want to be like you. I want to go with you. Let's go for it. And uh, Paul's with Barnabas. And he's not as graceful as we might think Paul would be with this young man. So let me, let me run through the story for you real quick. It's Acts 12 and 13. This is verse 25 of, of uh, chapter 12. And it'll go into chapter 13. So Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they took with them John, whose surname was Mark, John Mark. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius, Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. They ministered to the Lord. They fasted. The Holy Spirit said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salome, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John, this is John Mark, as their assistant. Now when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for his name is so translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O fool of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the, the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what, Paul, or what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Chapter 15, 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we've preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas was determined to take with him John called Mark. 
But Paul insisted that they should not take him with them, the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia, and had not gone with them to the work. Then, they contend then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul has no grace for this young disciple. If you read through the book of Acts, John Mark, he had a praying mother. Peter gets out of prison. They're all praying in the house. Paul comes through. He's going on a missionary journey. John Mark says, I want to go with you. Let's go. And they get into some trouble. If you're in this church and you're around me, there's a good chance we're going to get into some trouble. It might be on outreach. It might be at the park today. You never know when it's going to happen. But there's a chance we're going to get into some trouble. I've been pulled into the office just like Sarah was pulled into the office, all right? So this is what's happening with Paul and this, this young John Mark, and he's casting out a demon uh, uh, in this sorcerer. He's telling him, you're going to be blind. The guy goes blind. Everybody has all their eyes on Paul and his crew in this city. And when they finally make it out alive, John Mark is like, hey, uh, you know, I know we had planned to go to a couple more cities, and there's a ministry to do, but I'm going to go ahead and go back home to Mama Mary's house. I don't want to do this anymore. Maybe he turned away too soon. Maybe he made a mistake, but Paul had zero grace. Later on, Barnabas is like, hey, let's go get John Mark again, and we'll go to the work. And Paul's like, no, I ain't rolling with him. He's a buster. I'm not going to go out here and fight with somebody that's not going to fight with us. I'm not going to go out here and try to do the work of the Lord with somebody that's got one foot in and one foot out. I don't want to be around that guy. And Barnabas is saying, no. Be graceful, be merciful, make room for failure. And Paul wrote most of the New, New Testament. Nope, no grace. If you look up Barnabas, he had a graceful, loving spirit. And when Paul first came into the community, nobody, nobody liked Paul. And you know the only person that stood up for him? Yeah. Barnabas. This is Acts 9.22. Saul was increasing in strength. He confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ, like Paul was on fire. And after many days were passed, the Jews wanted to kill him. But their plot became known to him, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. The disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. Paul, I said earlier that we need to make room for new members. Paul was a new member, and they wouldn't make room for him to come into the church. They said, we don't believe you, we don't trust you, the Jews want to kill you, go do your own thing somewhere else. And then Barnabas says, no, let's embrace him. Barnabas brings him in and walks with him in and out of church every day, taking care of him. You know what Barnabas' name means when it's translated? It means son of encouragement. How many of us have made room for the failures and shortcomings of other people and we have decided to be a great encouragement in their life? Or is that just for certain leaders? I have a feeling that when God says this, he's saying to the whole church, be a missional community, be encouragers. Watch this. Paul's doing ministry later on. He's talking to his disciples, and this will be the end of this point. Paul's doing ministry, talking to all his disciples. 
2 Timothy 4, 9, he's telling his disciples, Be diligent, come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and he's departed for Thessalonica. Crescens went to Galatia. Titus went to Dalmatia. Only Luke is still with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Paul's changed. Paul's changed his view on John Mark. At first, he didn't want to do anything with him, didn't want to go anywhere with him. And then later on in his life, I think Paul has learned to be a little bit more patient, a little bit more graceful, a little bit more forgiving. Not only um, does he value John Mark, he's actually asking for him now. I want to do ministry with that guy. I'm so glad that, that John Mark didn't quit, didn't give up, wasn't so discouraged. It doesn't say so, but Barnabas probably, you know, took really good care of him and restored him and encouraged him. Son of encouragement, right? To the point where later on, he's fulfilling his, his destiny. He's walking in the things that God had for him. And Paul is saying, I want that guy on my team. I wonder how many of us, a couple of things, make room for shortcomings and failures, but also uh, be a Barnabas. I don't know how you would make that female Barnaba, Barnabé. <laughs> be a female Barnabas, be a male Barnabas. Like, encourage people, walk with them. If you see somebody that, like, just is down in the dumps, they made a mistake, they're being held accountable by somebody, you need to be the one to walk up to them and say, hey, listen, it's not right, and it's not good what you did, but it's going to be all right. Yeah. Grab them around the shoulder, take them out to coffee, buy them a meal so that they don't give up, so that later on when they're walking in destiny, right, when, when, when Paul is later on doing ministry with, with John Mark and God is moving, it'd be easy to say, oh, look what Paul did in that guy's life. But it wasn't Paul, it was Barnabas. Somewhere in the middle when nobody was watching, Barnabas was restoring that young man. Sons of encouragement, daughters of encouragement. And then we all need to, I think, be a little bit more like Paul too. Like when the tables have turned, when time has gone by, humble ourselves and say, you know what? I didn't think you were gonna make it, but I'm glad you did. I didn't think you'd be back, but I'm glad you are. I didn't think that you were worth fighting with, but I'll fight with you any day. There's something beautiful about everybody growing. That's what a missional community is about, right? Last one. So we've got to make room for new members. If you're going to be a missional community, you've got to make room for uh, failures and shortcomings and disappointments if you're going to be a missional community. And then a, a missional community makes room for those seeking refuge. All right. A missional community has to make room for people who are actually seeking refuge, and I'll show you what that means here. This is the book of Numbers, chapter 35. Such an interesting people. Some people don't like the Old Testament. I love it. Read it. It's awesome. Really helps you understand the New Testament, what God is doing now. This is Numbers, chapter 35, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Command the children of Israel that they give the Levites cities to dwell in, from the inheritance of their possession. And you shall also give the Levites common land around the cities. They shall have the cities to dwell in, and their common land shall be for their cattle, for their herds, and for all their animals. The common land of the cities which you shall give the Levites shall extend from the wall of the city outward, a thousand cubits all around. And you shall measure outside the city on the east side 2,000 cubits, on the south side 2,000 cubits, on the west side 2,000 cubits, and on the north side, 2,000 cubits. The city shall be in the middle. This shall belong to them as common land for the cities. Now among the cities which you will give the, to, the Levite, to the Levites, you shall appoint six cities of refuge 
to which a manslayer may flee. And to those you shall add 42 cities. So all the cities you will give the Levites shall be 48. These you shall give with their common land, and the cities which you will give them shall be from the possession of the children of Israel. From the larger tribes you shall give many, and from the smaller you shall give few. Each shall give some of its cities to the Levites in proportion to the inheritance that each has received. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. They shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. And of the cities which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge. You shall appoint three cities on this side of the Jordan, three cities you shall appoint in the land of Canaan, or the promised land, which will be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger, for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. Such an interesting portion of scripture, what, it, what it's talking about. Um, if you decide to be a missional community, it's pretty easy to make room for unique new members, right? Somebody comes in and they're a little bit special, they're a little bit weird, they're a little bit unique, they, they dress differently, they talk differently, they're from another place. If you already said we're gonna be missional, you can embrace them and be like, you know what? We like you and all your weirdness and we want you to be here with us. It's pretty easy to make room for failures and disappointment, disappointments once you decide to be missional. If you say, we want people, we want to reach people, we want people to be restored, you can, you can make it up in your mind and in your heart to say, listen, we are going to deal with disappointment. We are going to deal with failure, and we're going to keep on trucking, and we're going to keep on loving people. But it's a whole other story to make room for strangers and sojourners and manslayers. <laughs> right? For the homeless, for the addict, for the fresh out, for the unsaved. It's a whole other thing to make room for those types of people. I love that the first of every tribe had to give uh, the priest, the Levites are the priest or, or the church, let's say it. So it might have been hard to understand, but, but listen to what they said. They're coming into the promised land. Everybody's going to get a, 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 an inheritance in these cities. And it says the first thing you're going to do is you're going to find the priests, the Levites, and you're going to give them tax-free land. And where did it say? North, south, east, west. It says, like, imagine the city of Brea. What they said is the Levites are going to get the border around the whole city for free. That's where the priests are going to live. And then within the city, you're going to give them these little pockets to, to put their animals and their livestock and stuff. Isn't it interesting? Why do you think that is? The, the Levites and the priests are going to serve the community. They're going to do the ministry. They're going to, do, to connect people to God. And he says, I want you to be surrounded by this group of people who are praying for you and serving you and connecting you with God. No matter where you turn in every single city, right? And then isn't it interesting? Of all the groups, they said, then we want you to use the church to give them cities of refuge for manslayers and for strangers and sojourners. It said, the regular people are not going to want these people around them, but the church should embrace these people and make room for them. Think about that for a second. Number one, you're going to prioritize the church. You're going to give to these people. They're not going to work. They're gonna, their job is to serve you spiritually. 
Number two, the church is going to be the, the, the place where the cities of refuge for manslayers, strangers, and sojourners to come in. Is our church a place where manslayers, sojourners, and strangers can come? Is our church truly missional? It says that these places are, are people who are seeking refuge should be able to come there. Verse 12 said, they're going to be cities of refuge for, for you from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. So somebody kills somebody, somebody does something terrible to another family. They're supposed to run to the church for a safe place before the people that they've wronged kill them. Before the consequences for their actions catch up with them, they're supposed to be able to run to the church so that they can get an actual fair trial and a judgment. What does the New Testament picture of that look like? So good. It said, build three of these cities on this side of the Jordan, right? That's Old Testament. New side of the Jordan, they've crossed over. New Testament, build three more. What does that look like if these strangers and these, these murderers or, or these manslayers are running to these cities? What does it look like in the, in the New Testament? They're, not supposed to, they're supposed to get a fair trial and judgment before, before uh, they're murdered by the people that, that they hurt. In the New Testament, what that looks like is people should be able to run into this church and they're not saved yet. They're not healed yet. They're not forgiven yet. They're not clean yet. They still talk terrible. They still act terrible. They still bring things into the building that they shouldn't be bringing into the building. They still do things after service that they shouldn't be doing after service. And we as a church should be embracing them and calling this a city of refuge for them so that before they're judged for their sins and go to hell, they can get a fair trial with Christ. That they would be here long enough to be able to turn to Christ and say, you know what? I can see how I've been living. I can see what I've been doing and I want forgiveness. How many of us will give them a week for that? Just think about it. How many of us will give them a week? How many of us will give them a month? How many of us will give them a year? How many of us want to go to a church where we say, you know what, we're going to be missional, and that's the expectation for the life of this church? It may not sound like a, a significant thing, but you can go down the street and go to a nice, safe church. You can go down the street and go to a place where you don't have to deal with refugees. Remember the refugee crisis a couple of years ago? No city wanted, no city wanted to allow these people to come in. Will you allow them to come into your church? Will you make room for them? We got to open our eyes and see spiritually church. I sat in church for six months not believing. Getting high before church and after church. Doing things before and after church that I shouldn't be doing. I'm so glad that they made room for me. I'm so glad that they weren't like, hey, bro, if you don't get it right, like right now, you can't come here. You got to go somewhere else. Our church's history, you know, Ray said, I remember when there wasn't 17 people. I remember now that we got 17 youth going. I remember uh, an alcoholic in our church when we had four rows of four. There were 16 chairs and they weren't full. And there was an alcoholic in our church that I, he was a member of our church. He was part of our church. He stood up in the middle of a service and cussed me out. It was only like two rows back. He was right in my face. And he walked out. You know, later on, later on, he passed away from alcoholism. And I share this testimony a lot in this church because uh, I love you guys and, and I believe in what God is doing in your life. But I've never believed more in a man's salvation than his, other than my own, only because, only because it wasn't because of how he looked and how he behaved. It was because I saw him fighting for it every single day. 
would do the craziest things and say the craziest things. And then the next day he called me like, hey, we're going to men's discipleship? <laughs> yes, dude, I'm gonna come pick you up right now. <laughs> he'd be the one to, to cuss me out in a service and then he'd be there early for the next service. But I love the fact that as I'm reading things like this and I'm sharing what I'm sharing with you guys today, I believe with all my heart, like at that time, our church was a city of refuge for him. When there was nowhere else for him to go, he was able to come here and be with us. And he wasn't going to be ostracized. He wasn't going to be told to sit in the back. He wasn't going to be told to listen from the foyer or something like that. He was going to be loved. We've got to give people an opportunity and to, to embrace them and make room for them long enough to where they can see Jesus. And then they get to make a decision. They're either going to give their life to him and be changed and be transformed and not receive judgment, or they're going to go back to the world. But our job is not to force them to make that decision or to push them out if we don't feel like they've done it quick enough. A missional community has to make room for refugees. That scripture in Numbers, it makes this distinction between murderers, right? Premeditated, you knew what you were doing, you knew why you were doing it, and a manslayer who did something kind of like on accident or heat of the moment. They call it crimes of passion, right? And it makes a distinction. It says, if you committed cold-blooded premeditated murder, you deserve to die. An eye for an eye is what the Old Testament would say. But if you were a manslayer and it, was pre it wasn't premeditated, it was a crime of passion or an accident, we're going to give you a city of refuge to come and, uh, and receive a fair trial in judgment. Today, when they look at the New Testament, I think spiritually, we are all not only manslayers, but we are all murderers. Yes. This is how it looks in the New Testament. If you haven't chosen Jesus, you have, Jesus is the only source of life, which means if you haven't chosen him, all you have left is death. You're murdering yourself, right? And if you are leading people away from Christ, you are a murderer. Amen. That's it. If you're not leading them to life, you're leading them to death. So in the Old Testament, they're talking about physical manslaughter and murder. In the New Testament, we're talking about spiritual manslaughter and murder, and we're all guilty. Amen. The scripture numbers said they didn't know what they were doing, so we've got to give them an opportunity to be judged. Listen to how Jesus says it in the New Testament as he hangs on the cross. Luke 23, 34, Jesus says to the Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Jesus on the cross saying, Father, they don't know that they're killing the source of life. They don't know that they're murderers even though they take care of their families and they go to work every day and they do their homework. They don't know that they're killing themselves and they're killing others. He says, Father, please forgive them. Give them time. Give them a city of refuge. Help them. They don't know what they're doing. Man, I wish we had that heart when we looked at people in the church who were refugees and they were struggling. Instead of being like, man, get right or get gone, I wish we would say, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Make room for them, Lord. Make room for them. Peter says it like this. This is the last scripture. In Acts chapter 3, verse 14, Peter's preaching to a bunch of people that don't know what they're doing. And he says, you denied the Holy One and the just. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name through faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you've seen and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given this man this perfect soundness in presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Peter's talking about the crucifixion. He sees him, he's been part of healing this man, and he's telling everybody, you're the ones that killed Jesus. 
You're the ones that murdered them. None of these people think they're murderers. They think they've done something good. And he says, you're murderers. But at the end he says, but you didn't even know what you were doing. As a pastor, it's hard for me to tell people what I just told you a few minutes ago. You were all murderers. You're either still a murderer if you haven't accepted Jesus, or you are a forgiven murderer if you have. People don't want to hear that. People want to hear you're a good person and you can be a better person if you come to church. But that's not what the scriptures say. It says you are deserving of death. You're a liar and a murderer. And the only way to get forgiven for that is to come to Jesus. And the first messages that are preached, Peter stands up and says, you killed him. He's the prince of life. He didn't pull any punches, so I can't pull any punches. I'm sorry. If this church is going to continue to be missional, we have to make room for people who are seeking refuge. We've got to be looking for them. We've got to be outreaching to them. We've got to be embracing them. And don't get mad at me. But if you're here and you're comfortable and you're already saved and a refugee comes in that needs a place to find Jesus, if one of you got to go, I want everybody to stay, but you're already saved. Go ahead. We'll be a small, ugly, smelly church. <laughs> but man, I think we'll be pleasing to God. What I would rather have us be is a missional church, right? We don't put ourselves at risk. We don't put our kids at risk, right? But I think we can do both. We can embrace the refugee. We can say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, and we can make room for them here in this place. Just like the story of the, of the wedding invitation, they had to go out to the highways and byways, and there were people on the highways and byways. I want those people here. I want us to be united in diversity. We need professionals, we need business people, we need students. We need mothers, we need fathers, we need laborers, we need workers, but we also need the people from the margins. We need the broken, we need the addicts, we need the prisoners, we need the unhealthy, we need the refugees, we need all of it. And then the Bible says that the world will know that we belong to Jesus by the way that we love each other. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand? Missional community makes room makes room for new members to come and, and find a place where they belong and that they can call home, where that their uniqueness and their diversity is embraced and, and loved. A missional community needs to make room for failures and shortcomings. Everybody in this room this morning has a failure and has a shortcoming. It's not just something that is early on in our salvation, it's throughout our salvation. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands and, and tell us how long you've been serving God, but whoever in this room has been serving God the longest, please believe me, you still have some failures and shortcomings that the Lord wants to deal with. I think we need to do a little bit of business with the Lord and, and try to deal with those things, but, but we need to, as a church, embrace and forgive one another as we're dealing with them. Love one another as we're dealing with them. And in the room for those on the margins... Last week I was in New York, I was there for work, but I saw it as an opportunity to go and see a friend of mine, a brother of mine, many of you know Pastor Ruben Nuno, him and his wife and their family are, are missionaries. Amen, you can give him a hand. I love this guy. We, I, you know, I got there, spent the night with them till about one o'clock in the morning, got back to my hotel, went to work, got off work, went back into the city, spent the rest of the night with them, two nights in a row. and. Uh, 
I, I've never met anybody more missional and anybody who's, who wants to get the people who are on the margins more than Pastor Ruben. They did, uh, he, he uh, met his wife doing missionary work as a youth in Nigeria. He was there for six months, I believe it was. They planted in, into France. They, uh, uh, when they came back and planted here, they were at MacArthur Park in LA, in the hood. They were on the uh, Echo Park in the hood. The man just, he, he was telling me like, he just sees the margins. And he feels like Jesus was, was the God that was on the margins and for the people on the margins. And we both talked about it, how, how he said as he's growing though, he, he sees that Jesus wasn't just for the margins, he was for everybody, right? So you need, you need again the stable and the secure and the healthy and you need the unhealthy and the margins, those who have been marginalized. And to me, that's what a, what a healthy church should look like. And I gotta tell you, we were cracking up because he was talking about his wife. He said, man, if it wasn't for my wife, I would never come off of the margins. He says, I need her, like she centers me and she helps me. And he said, <laughs> I haven't seen this guy, but have you guys seen the, the video where the guy says, I love you, God. Yes. Jesus Christ, I love you, God. He had me dying. Pastor Ruben had me dying. He's like, that's where I would be all the time. But Megan draws me back and, 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 and helps me to go and reach others. And I thought to myself, man, that's the kind of church I want to be, where we can reach anybody at any time, at any place. And they could come in here, and like we said in the first point, they would say, man, I feel like there's room for me here. I feel like my uniqueness is actually embraced here. And then finally they would say, I belong here. Yes. I belong here. I gotta tell you, there's not a lot of churches out there. There's good churches, but there's not a lot that want all those people. I wanna be a missional community that loves and wants all those people. Watch about your heads and close your eyes. In a moment here, we're going to have our baptism. We're going to have communion time together. But, but first things first. Heads bowed, eyes closed if you would. What this whole thing is about is salvation first and foremost. When they were trying to figure out what to tell these new believers about what they should do and shouldn't do and what's important and how many laws, it's because they were just getting saved and becoming part of this new family. But you got to get saved and become part of the new family first. If you're here this morning and you've been thinking about God, you've been asking yourself about what your future looks like and what place Jesus is going to have in it, maybe you've been, you can acknowledge this morning, kind of like a refugee. You've been coming to church and maybe sitting in church but maybe it's because it's the only safe place, <laughs> the only place you feel good or the only place you don't feel afraid or you're not worried about your, your life catching up with you. But you know when you leave every time, it's right back to that same place in your heart, in your mind, and in this world. Today, Jesus would say, I want to call you home. I've made a place for you. <laughs> I've prepared a place for you. Not for the whole church, for you by name. He knows you by name. He sees you. He sees into your heart. He sees into your soul. And he says, are you tired of running? Are you tired of just considering coming to me? Is today the day that you might say, I put all my faith in you, Jesus. I want to be forgiven. I don't want to be judged by the world. And I don't want to have to pay for the things that I did out there. I've come for refuge, but now I want forgiveness. Now I want to be born again. Now I want to be part of your family with all my uniqueness.
If that's you, the heads are bowed, the eyes are closed, it's between you and the Lord. Man, I hope that today you would just give everything to Jesus. If that's you, would you raise your hand so that I can see you? We want to acknowledge you. Amen. I see you, young lady. <laughs> the Lord sees you. Is there anybody else that would join her today? Part of God's family, fully forgiven. You're not a refugee anymore. You're home. <laughs> anybody else? Amen. I see you too, young lady. That's two. Can we go for three? Anybody else? There's a place for you. There's a room for you. It's got your name on it. You're not a visitor. It's your home. Anybody else want to put your faith in Jesus? I see you too, young man. God is so good. Amen. Give them a hand. Hallelujah, Lord. God. So to those three, I can promise you this. We won't be perfect. So we're going to need you to make room for our shortcomings and our failures. But I can also promise you that we are going to do our best to keep making room for you. We will not stop until you say, I'm home. This is where I belong. God will work out everything else. The only uh, encouragement I want to give you this morning is to make Jesus not only Savior, but Lord of your life. Yes, right. And then keep yourself, keep yourself pure. Keep yourself pure. Your purity allows the Lord to come in and dwell in that, in that heart of yours, in that mind of yours, and just change and transform. He will do his work. The Bible says that he who has begun a good work in you today, he is faithful to bring it to completion. Lord, I thank you for that young man. I thank you for those two young ladies, Lord God. Your word says that if it wasn't for your spirit revealing Jesus... <laughs> that they couldn't even come to you. So I thank you that your spirit is alive, that your spirit is active, that what your word tells us can happen and will happen is happening before our eyes in this building this morning, God. Cover them with the hedge of protection, Lord God, but make them fighters. Prepare them right now for battles. When they leave this place, it's still a dark world. There's still challenges. There's still old things and old feelings and old people. Make them fighters, Lord. With one hand, let them have your word and be getting to know you. And with the other hand, let them have a weapon so that they can fight. Surround them, Lord, with welders and iron workers who are uh, focused on making a space for them. Lifting them up and building them up. Place people around them that will be sons and daughters of encouragement as they go through tough times, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Finally, for the rest of us who are here this morning. If you want prayer, it can be for anything. We have a prayer team that will come to the altar and pray with you. It can be for anything, but specifically from this morning's message, if you feel like you want God to help you be a person who can make room for others, I'd ask you to come to the altar. The altars are open now. We're going to pray for you quickly before, uh, before we have our time of baptism communion. But if you want prayer for anything, if, and specifically if you just want God to help you make room in your life, Maybe it's the shortcomings and sins and failures of others who have hurt you, who have abandoned you, who have talked bad about you. And this morning the Lord is telling you, you've got to make room for those failures. You've got to make room for those shortcomings. You've got to forgive them the same way that the Lord forgave you. You've got to forgive them. Would you come so that you could be prayed over? Maybe it's there's a certain type of person or a certain group of people that you are not interested in being around. You are not interested in getting to know. You are not interested in loving. And maybe this morning the Lord is telling you that you've got to make room for those refugees. You've got to make room for people who are not like you and who are not healed and who are not even focused on serving the Lord yet. But if you want God to make you the type of person 
who will make room for them. Would you come so that we can pray for you? Hallelujah, Lord. Mm. And maybe it's for the members of the church. If, if uh, there's something going on across the aisles, if there's something going on with other churches and other members of, of the body of Christ that, where you've been hurt or something's been happening, and you want the Lord to just make you the type of person who makes room for new members, for people to come in and to serve with you and to love the Lord with you and to grow together. I want to pray for all of you. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Are there no others? You've made enough room. Are there no others that would say you've got more room that you need to make? Would you come? If you've got any room that you need to make, now's the time. Amen. I see you. Anybody else? Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we just want to thank you that you made room for us. Heaven was perfect. (laughs) There was no sin. There were no shortcomings. There was no animosity. It was perfect, Lord. But you decided that you would leave that place to make room for us. We're full of sin. We're full of shortcomings. We're refugees. We're unhealthy. We're unholy. But you would leave that place to come here to help us, to forgive us, to redirect us. You've made this whole planet a city of refuge where people can find you and people can come to you and people can be healed and people can be forgiven. And then you said that you go to prepare a place for us back in heaven and that we will be ready to enter into that place. Either when you come back for us or when we leave this earth, when we die, that we would be present with you, Lord. Your plan is amazing and your grace is amazing. For your sons and daughters here at this altar, for those that gave their life to the Lord, we just ask that you would help us, Lord. Your heart knew no bounds. You had so much room in your heart for us. We want to be like you. The Father says that he's shaping us into your image, Lord. So in our hearts, Lord, I ask that you would make room. Stretch us. Stretch us. Stretch us. When we think we've gone far enough, take us further. When we think we've forgiven enough, help us to forgive more. When we think we've been graceful enough, make us more graceful. When we think we've been healed enough, give us more healing. When we think we've seen all that you want to do in this church, give us more people who would get saved, Lord. Oh, how we love you. We love you because you loved us first, Lord. Every son, every daughter here in this building, Lord. We just love you and we thank you. We praise you. Bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Give the Lord a hand. And for just a few more minutes, this is one of the most exciting times of, of, uh, in our church. I would ask uh, Miss Maribel Vera if she would come up. And uh, you can come right over here, Maribel, right here in the front. And anybody that wants to stand with her, we have a prayer team that's going to gather around you. Um, but anybody else that wants to stand with her, friends, family, uh, you guys can come and gather. You can stay in your seats. It's, it's, all, it's all good. But we are so excited for you, young lady. Praise the Lord. Um, wow. 
So the way that we, we uh, do baptisms here, um, we're going to spend a, just a few minutes praying for you and a few minutes uh, worshiping with you and over you. Um, and then we're going to get you in this water and, and uh, one of the elders and one of the leaders that, that teaches baptism is going to be there with you and for you. But it's a collective thing. So, so I would ask that those of you who are here, engage. Everybody say engage. Engage. <clears throat> it's you and it's your day and it's what God is doing in your life. But when you become part of a body, when you become part of the family of God, he can't do something for you that it doesn't affect the rest of us. So it's such a special time. So the first thing we're going to do, and we're going to worship um, as, we, as we pray these things. First thing we're going to do is we're going to pray for the end of your old life. The end of your old life. And Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Lord, we thank you for Maribel. We thank you, Lord, and we acknowledge that the old life, you were always there, and you were always watching over her, and you were always available to her. But there are also things in her old life that are now gone. The life that she now lives, she lives in you. Holy and completely, Lord God. So we pray, Lord, as, as she experiences this time of baptism, that even as she would, she would go under that water, Lord God, that, that old things would pass away. And as you said yourself, Jesus, behold, you make all things new, Lord God. We pray that specifically right now. Out with the old and in with the new. Have your way, Jesus. Let's worship and let's pray for, for Maribel, everybody. Amen. I was nowhere you came to my rescue. From the grave I've been raised. When I needed a savior to save me, Jesus, you made a way. listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.